0: We're turning in God's Word to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Let's read the entire chapter together. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Let's hear the Lord's Word. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Only lest they should suffer persecution, For the cross of Christ, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit amen and God will add his own blessing to the reading from his word for his name's sake please bow with me just for a moment still our hearts and ask the Lord to come draw near to us let's all pray oh our God we call upon thee in the name of thy son asking thee for all the help that we're going to need in the preaching and hearing of the word. We don't want it to fall upon deaf ears. We don't want it to be, Lord, just a sermon, but a message from God that will be received with open arms, believed and obeyed. Give the Holy Ghost now, we pray to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul certainly had his work cut out for him. From the very beginning of his ministry, he found himself having not to defend the gospel, not only from those who were quite overt enemies of his ministry and of his message, but also from certain Jews, Jews who, who professed to be Christians, who went from city to city teaching the Gentile Christians that in order to be saved, really, in order to be real Christians, they had to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. Hard for us to really grasp how significant that heresy was. The impact it had upon the churches. You can imagine the trouble this teaching was causing in these newly formed churches. Because put yourself, if you can for a moment, in the shoes of these new Gentile converts... You have come to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. You're putting all of your hopes for your eternity on the Son of God, the death of God's Son. True it is, you know little about the law of Moses. After all, you were raised a Gentile, not a Jew. You could say a whole lot about paganism, but you don't know really very much about Moses' law. But you do know it was a Jew who preached the gospel to you. And it was a Jew who led you to put your trust, your hope in Jesus Christ. The finished work of Jesus Christ. Now some other Jews come along. And they also profess to believe in Christ And they tell you that unless you're circumcised, you can't really be saved, or at least come to any full assurance that you're one of God's people. How would you feel if you heard that conflicting message? I dare say that confusion, mixed with doubt, And fear would fill your heart. Am I really saved after all? This man, this this Jew by the name of Paul told me one thing, but these other teachers have come along and told me something else. Who am I to believe? It, It was this very reality that Uh, The Holy Spirit used to prompt Paul to write his epistle to the churches in this region of Galatia. As you read the epistle, you find that Paul does not mince his words. He doesn't sugarcoat them to try to make the medicine go down easier. He doesn't mince his words regarding either the believers, the true believers of these churches, who had begun to listen to these false teachers, or the false teachers themselves. You see, now was not the time for delicate words and niceties. The matter was too urgent, the cause was too serious. It demanded great bluntness. It demanded shock treatment. He marvels in chapter 1 that these believers in these churches in Galatia have been so easily and so quickly led away from their. Liberty, their freedom in Jesus Christ, into the bondage of the law of Moses. He calls them foolish, Galatians. Can you imagine sitting in the church, and, you foolish Galatians. That would get your attention. He intimates that they have been bewitched it's like a spell was cast upon them it's like what in the world were you thinking how did you come how did you ever come to this place where you would actually countenance the teaching of these liars I'm shocked imagine hearing that Concerning the false teachers, Paul labels them as troublemakers, perverters of the gospel, and men who are accursed by God, damned, heavy duty. Wasn't trying to find a middle ground with them. somehow, well you know they're speaking some truth so we've got to give them a little, lead. they're just ignorant they've got to be taught better, not on your life they're accursed in fact Paul actually uses a very strong word, indeed he's actually uh, has a play on words with regards to those who were so insistent on the Gentiles being circumcised. He states in chapter 5, verse 12, I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. He is using a play on words with circumcision. I wish you were cut off. Why? Why? Why did he use such strong invectives against these false teachers? Because they were puppets of Satan who were striking at the very heart of the gospel. This was not an area of doctrine of theology that was open for debate. Paul would give way in a lot of things, but not when it came to the gospel. He did not give ground an inch The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of salvation by grace alone. It is the gospel that preaches, that teaches, proclaims that a man, a sinner is found acceptable and is made righteous in the sight of God based upon nothing that he does but all upon what Christ in his life and by his death has accomplished these Judaizers were preaching a salvation that was a mixture of grace and works it had truth There was truth in their message they were teaching. That was what made it so appealing and therefore so dangerous. There was an element of truth in what they were teaching. It had just enough truth to make the error seem plausible. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we are living in a day just like that. There is truth being taught by those who claim to be Christian teachers. There's enough truth in it to make their error seem plausible. And so many, like the Galatian believers, are swallowing it, hook, line, and sinker. They are bewitched. And they are foolish. And they don't even know it. And they need a Paul to come to them and tell them, You're following a lie. These men are false. The question comes up as you think about what these Judaizers were doing. Why? Why? Why did they, who profess to be followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, go around teaching this? Heresy that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved, to be a real child of God in the real family of God. Part of the reason was that they they wanted to save face. The Christian faith called upon Jews and Gentiles to fellowship with each other. But the unbelieving Jews. Despised the uncircumcised Gentiles. And those Jewish Christians who fellowshiped with the Gentiles would be held in contempt as well and even persecuted for doing that. It, it, it tripped up Peter, you remember. This, you, you get a picture of how strong this was. It tripped up Peter. He got caught up in it. So when the Judaizer could convince the Gentile to to be circumcised, he he was his proof. Ah, see, he references the law of Moses. So verse twelve of chapter six, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. It's all self centered. But there's another reason the apostle gives for their policy, this false doctrine they were teaching, this blend of of truth and error. In verse 13, he writes that the Judaizers desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Notice again, the play on words. They're going to boast, brag. Hey, is one of my converts Gentile circumcised they had bragging rights it was about pride pride in stark contrast to that the apostle Paul utters the well known verse of 14 but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. From that verse, I want to speak for a little bit this morning on the Christians' only ground for boasting. The Christians' only ground for boasting, bragging, if you like. First, let me make this point the Christian's only ground for boasting is the cross of Christ, the only ground we have to brag, to trumpet. That word glory means boast. Boasting means to talk proudly about your abilities, your accomplishments, or your possessions. People boast all the time about that in all kinds of ways. It's boasting. Glorying in this. The Old Testament word for glory uh, literally means heaviness or weight. The glory of God, the heaviness of God. What makes him so heavy? All of his glories you see, make him so great. God forbid, Paul writes, may it never, ever be that I should glory, that I should boast, save, except, that's the word, except in the cross of Christ. Now you hear what he's saying, but to put it in other words, all of my glory, all of that in which I can ever boast, is solely in the death of Jesus Christ, and all that flows from that death, that's my only bragging rights. That's the only thing I can glory in. Before I go any further, let let those words just sink down into your ears. As God's people, we have no other glory. We have nothing about which we can boast except the cross of Christ. Nothing. Nothing to brag about. Nothing about ourselves we can boast in. I am this, I've done that. However so suddenly those statements can be expressed. It's wrong. It is flat out wrong. My only boast is the cross. Anything else in which a Christian may... Glory our boast in is nothing more than the glory of man. It's the glory of the flesh. A glory that is like the fading flower of the grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. Take pride in. People take pride in a lot of things. They take pride in their looks. And you know it. They spend so much time Trying to make themselves look a certain way. And they're proud of their beauty. Or they're proud of their masculinity, their muscular strength. They're proud of their money. They're proud of their possessions. And they show it off. That's what a show off is. A show off is one who is glorying or boasting and look at what I have. Look at what I am. Look at what I've reached, what I've attained. If ever there was a man who could glory in the flesh, it was Paul. He was a genius. Hands down. He was a genius. An intellectual giant. He had climbed very high that ecclesiastical ladder of the Pharisees he could brag about his zealousness for the law of Moses he could boast in the fact that as far as the outward righteousness of the law was concerned he and he's saying this under inspiration of the spirit of god it was no exaggeration as far as touching this the righteousness of the law the outward righteousness was concerned he says i was blameless you couldn't. You couldn't get anything to stick to me. Outwardly, I was good as they come. Good as they come. But Paul looked at all of that. All that which a man would, would boast in and place his confidence in. And he said, as far as I'm concerned, I look at all of my rank, all of my privileges and accomplishments as a dunghill. Dunghill's not worth very much. I mean, when do you, when, when's the last time you saw men, Oh, I, I've got the best septic tank in Columbia. Look at my heap of manure. No. But that's what he said about all that stuff. It's dung to me. I don't glory in it at all. The only glory I have, the only thing about which I ever want to boast in, is the cross of Christ, it is his death. He could have gloried in his visions and his revelations he had of God, you recall in Second Corinthians chapter 12, he could have gloried in his apostleship. He could have gloried in his mental powers, but he, he sets everything else aside and takes those words that we sang this morning, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the cross the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most. I sacrifice them to his blood. They're nothing compared the cross of Christ. How do you get there? Well, that really is your thinking and your heart of hearts. That's really what you believe, and that's how you live your life. It's all dung to me, all these things that men build up and put so much time and effort into. It's just, it's just, it's nothing. This is the only thing that I will brag and that I will boast and that I will glory in. it's the cross of my Savior. It's a searching truth, you know. Believers have been guilty of glorying in something other than the death of Christ. It's, it, they give it away either through their words their actions we can become guilty of basking in the praise of men and wanting the applause of men to be exalted and if we don't get the applause and the praise that we think we should get Well, we take a nosedive, and we're hurt so deeply. Really? Is that what life is about? Getting the adulation of men and say, Well, wonderful, you're great. It tells you something. We may glory and boast in our church and our denomination and our doctrine while we put down everybody else who's not on the same page. Many Christians have gloried in being fundamentalists. Others glory in their broad mindedness. And they're not being fundamentalists. Because they're dummies. We're the smart ones. The list is endless when I come back to the Apostle under inspiration of the Spirit of God God forbid may it never be that I boast in anything but the cross of Christ now why why is the cross of Christ the sole glory of God's people why was all of Paul's own glory just wrapped up that's, all he, that, that's what he was all about for me to live is Christ my life's all about. One of the greatest paradoxes of the ages is that the place of the greatest shame and disgrace was held by Paul to be the, the place, the greatest place of all of his glory and boasting. Why was that? Why was the cross the shame and disgrace of Calvary? Why was that such something that Paul just, just, just loved and cherished and uplifted and said, "Here, here, here, here's what it's all about. It's the cross. It's the cross." When he went to Corinth, he said, I was determined to preach nothing among you save Christ and Him crucified. Why? The place of shame. You now, let's just go take a visit this morning to that hill crag outside the walls of Jerusalem and let's look upon Christ crucified for a moment and see what we can find there. Why it is such a display of the glory, the heaviness, the weight of God. In the cross of Christ, there is this unclouded view of the holiness of God. It displays his holiness. And, uh, well, you've heard me say it on previous occasions. The holiness of God is the crown to all of his other attributes. Right? Everything about him is holy. It's holy love. Its holy justice, its holy power, all of it is holy. At Calvary's tree, you see a display of just how holy God is. When Adam and Eve were driven from the Garden of Eden, they learned, boy, they learned that God was holy. When Noah... When Noah experienced millions of people drowning in the flood and no doubt heard them open the door he saw God was holy. When Israel saw Mount Sinai all aflame with fire and heard the voice of God thunder when they learned that they were not to go near that mount lest they died. They saw that this God was to be feared because he is holy. When in the wilderness the Jews saw thousands drop like flies because of their sin and rebellion against Jehovah, they saw this God is holy. But I'll tell you when the Son of God was nailed to the cross when the Father forsook His only begotten Son when God Himself brought down upon Jesus Christ His infinite wrath and poured all of it upon Him then you see God is holy like nowhere else. You may learn about the mechanics of the holiness of God from textbooks, and you may learn something of the holiness of God from sermons. But if you would want to see the gloriousness of his holiness, you'll find it at the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ shows us, does it not, how dreadful sin must be if the Father would forsake his Son because of it. It speaks of a God who is holy, who has been offended by our sin, and that sin must be punished. Christ must die on the cross whether that, rather than God's law be dishonored by not punishing sin. Sin must be something very dreadful because God is holy. In Christ's cross you'll find the clearest display of the wisdom of God Paul says, does he not, in 1 Corinthians 1, that Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. Man thinks that he is wise, but in all of his wisdom, Paul says, he's never found out God. His wisdom has only led him to eternal hell. But the cross of Christ is such a display of God's wisdom that although men have preached for centuries upon the cross, they have not begun to plumb the depths of the wisdom of God. That God could devise a plan whereby wicked, vile sinners could be made righteous and he could still be just. That God would devise a plan where the innocent son would be declared guilty so that guilty sinners could be declared righteous. What man could have ever come up with that plan? It's only the superficial mind that thinks the subject of the cross is soon Comprehended. It's just shallow thinking that limits and views the preaching of the cross to, quote, evangelistic messages, salvation messages. Whether it was preaching it evangelistically or dealing with sin in the churches, Paul always preached the cross. Oh, the depth of the wisdom of God at Calvary. When you ponder the truth that it is the only plan that could have worked, and it was the only plan that God knew would work, you see the wisdom of God in the cross. If there had been a better way, it would have been taken. This was the only way for God to be just and the justifier of the ungodly. This was the only way. So man should lay all of his learning all of his wisdom at the foot of the cross let man understand that he knows nothing at all then he will glory in the cross of Christ and he will cease boasting in his own wisdom, in his own knowledge in his own intellect there's no bragging rights there none The cross of Christ is the glorious display of the power of God. Creation was the display of God's power. (laughs) Everything out of nothing. Angels, men from the dust of the ground. Boy, it's power. That's ability. That's wisdom. When he performed the the countless miracles throughout the scriptures, he was showing, I am God Almighty. There's nothing too hard for me. But nowhere will you find a clearer display of the power of God than the cross of Christ. Paul says again, 1 Corinthians 1, that Christ crucified is not only the wisdom of God, but it is the power of God. The creation of of this vast universe... They haven't begun to scratch the vastness of it yet. It's a a feat of unbelievable power. I laugh, you know, I laugh. Uh, You read the articles about this telescope seeing this when they found this. They say, you boys don't have a clue how vast this universe is. You haven't scratched the surface. But I'll tell you, though God could create a million universes, there's no display like that power in saving one soul from hell. One soul from sin. The power that was displayed to do that. Nothing in comparison. Christ's cross... (coughs) is that glorious display of the love of God that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us While we were yet vile, while we were yet rebels, while we were yet selfish, self-centered, living to satisfy the lust of our flesh, while we were haters of God, while we were those who had no interest in spiritual things at all, God commended his love toward us. You not see then why Paul said the cross is all of my glory? It's it's all that's all I'm gonna boast and I'm gonna brag on that all day long. I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk it up. I'll talk it up. But I won't talk me up. These Judaizers, they were boasting. They talked up themselves, loved to talk about themselves. Not Paul. Whenever he talked about himself, it's what the grace of God did for him in his life. That's when he talked about himself. Let me, when he talked about himself, it was always, "Let me tell you about Jesus, not my accomplishments." This is the man who said, "I am less than least of all the saints," and he was honest when he said it. Wasn't lying no half truth there he believed it I am less than least of all the saints chief of sinners that's me second thought the cross is the greatest means of putting to death the world that is in us The cross is the greatest means of putting to death the world that is in us. Paul goes on to say that by the cross of Christ the world is crucified unto me. Let's unpack that. What does he mean? The world is crucified unto me. The world, you see, In Paul's theology, was that which stood in antithesis to the Christian life. Direct antithesis. That's the world. It's so so anti-Christian. It's so against God. The world was to Paul that which man held as his God because man looks to the world for his happiness and that's where you're supposed to look to to find your happiness, your God so it's the world for happiness to have wealth and, and honor and all of the amenities of life luxuries to enjoy the smile and the acceptance of the world man to the world that is happiness, that's what men are living for all saw that for what it really was. It was idolatry. It was idol worship. Put any name you want on it. Any class of people, whether it's the poorest of the poor or the richest of the rich, it's all nothing but base idolatry. Everything is replaced. God Almighty as the one who brings happiness and satisfaction and contentment and all the blessings that come with it. And Paul viewed the world as the Jew viewed one that was crucified someone was a Jew looked upon someone who was crucified as accursed of God cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree right that's the Old Testament text So Paul would not make that which was the object of God's curse, the object of his love. The world, that world system, that idolatry, it's accursed. If any man loved the world, if any man loved the world. It was by the cross that Paul's own estimation of the world came about. It was in light of the cross that Paul looked upon the world. It was in light of Calvary that Paul viewed the world. Well, that tells you a lot. You see, the cross brought Paul face to face with the world that was to come. The cross of Christ brought Paul above and beyond all else, face to face with the matchless love and grace of God. It was the world that nailed the Lord to the tree. The world did that. It was the world that despised the one who gave his life for him. And so Paul looks upon this world. This world—it's an enemy of God. It is something that's a curse to me. It's not my friend. He knew that the world was going to lead him away from God. And you know it too. I don't care how long you've been saved, you know how powerful the world is to lead you away from the Lord. It'll lead you away from Christ's likeness. every time it leads you away from the cross. I I want to say here that the only way the world is ever going to be put to death, the only way that world's going to be slain in our hearts is by the cross of Christ. It's not going to be by a certain uh, list of things that you're going to do It's not going to be by your best efforts to, I'm going to be good today, I've got these uh, lists of things, I've got to obey this, I've got to do this, got to go here, got to go there. It's going to be by living near the cross, because if you and I will live near the cross, we are not going to live near the world. And if we're going to live near the world, we're not going to live near the cross. We're the happiest when we're living near the cross we're the most content it doesn't matter what we have or what we don't have it enables us to look at the cross as that which kills the world and enables us to look at the world as something that's worth killing condemned put to death despised third and final thought the Christians only boast is the object of the world's contempt not only does Paul say by whom the world is crucified unto me but he says this and I unto the world I imagine somewhere along the line you've heard that to mean that Paul saying he's dead to the world. While that would be a true statement that he would be dead to the world that's not what he's saying when he says an I unto the world. What he's saying is this in my estimation here's how I view things. The world in my view is an accursed thing. And the world views me as an accursed thing. That's their estimation of me. The world looks upon me, how I live my life, what I follow. They think I am accursed. Something to be despised. This man who had... At one time, been very highly esteemed by the world, was now an object of contempt and hatred and even horror, like a man crucified he 's accursed Paul he 's mad. His Jewish brethren looked upon him as an apostate, member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees now He's an apostate. The Gentiles looked upon the Apostle Paul, this Jewish preacher, as the off-scouring of the earth. Filth! Why? He says, because I preach the cross. Both in his preaching and in his living, Paul declared the cross... He showed that He held the world in contempt. You know, the cross has always been hated by man because it, it just puts man right in the dust. And anyone that's going to make much of the cross is going to be despised by the world, even as Christ was despised by the world. He said back in verse 12 that the Judaizers didn't preach the cross because it would bring on the world's persecution. That's why they're not bringing, preaching the cross. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They're not going to preach the cross, which is going to bring about a separation from the world. Oh, does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? Separation from the world? We, we, we would want to be aware of any living or any speaking that in any way would we'll hide the cross of Christ in our lives, that would we'll hide the fact that the cross of Christ is all of our boasting, and that we hold the world in contempt. We hold the world in contempt. You don't want to hide that. I'm not talking about lost sinners who need Christ. I'm talking about this world system. This kingdom of... He's the prince of the world. So it would be good to ask ourselves some questions. Has the world been crucified in my life by the cross of Christ or do i love the world and serve it am i viewed by the world as one to be despised as a fool because i i boast in the cross i love the cross you see looking brothers and Looking to the cross of Christ will make this world grow strangely dim. Not looking to it, it becomes vibrant, attractive. Living the cross makes us strange in the eyes of the world. Scorn. looking, living. This is your only ground of boasting. And I want to live there, (laughs) not visit it once in a while. May God read His Word on our hearts for His name's sake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, in heaven, we we pray now in the name of Christ. Thou wilt lead us to Calvary. Thou wilt open our eyes to see again the cross of the Lord. My, how life has a way, and the devil has a way, of filling our mind with all kinds of distractions with always the aim to take our eyes off of Christ crucified. Keep bringing us, Lord, back to basics, back to the very fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian. We realize again today that we will never, no matter how much we learn, how much we grow in grace, we will never, ever get away from this, the highest place of all, living at the foot of Calvary. What that means and how we walk through a day, how we look at life, how we look at people, how we look at sinners, how we look at ourselves, how we look at the world. So, Spirit of God, we confess it's not enough for us to preach the text, to expound the text, and attempt to make some pertinent application. We need Thee, O Holy Ghost, to write this word upon the fleshy tables of our hearts, and to empower our wills, and to sweeten our understanding. That Christ will indeed be the only thing that we boast in. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen.